Good morning, CIL. So, so happy to be with you today. I want to also give a big shout out to those of you watching from home. I've been getting texts this morning, so love all of you. Thank you for coming to church with us today. You might be wondering where Aaron is. He is actually preaching in Clarksville today at one of our sister churches. And just say a little prayer for him right now. He had to preach, he has to preach four times today. The first service started at 7.30. So he had to get up and be there before I even left the house. He was probably starting his first sermon. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like he's he's awesome. He's a boss, but I'm like, honey, the older we get, like maybe we shouldn't say yes to things like that. I don't know. But I know he's going to do great. <laughs> yeah. So, um I am continuing his series on Philippians today. So, um the series is called Joyful and um I'll be speaking primarily from Philippians 1, 20 through 26. The title of my sermon, however, is called From Lament to Content. So we will be spending a fair amount of time on something that makes us all super comfortable called lament. So buckle in. All right. Let's just stand for the reading of the word if you're able. I am reading from the NLT and it says it like this. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen and amen. Well, Philippians is a lovely book. I love it because it's full of joy. Now, the first time that I, you know, I, I looked, I was like, okay, what is my passage going to be continuing on in this series? And, and I read that, and I'm, I'm a little distracted these days, so it kind of sounded like a word salad to me. Um, so I pulled out the message, and I love that um, it, it says it this way in the message. It says, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a platform. I love that. Don't you love that? Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his prize. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. Amen. Amen. I can't lose. Alive, I'm his mouthpiece. Dead, I'm present with him. And that is beautiful. Now, probably you've heard the, the, main, the main verse from this passage um, in the NIV. And it says, for to me, 
to live is Christ and to die is gain. Does that sound more familiar? Like you hear that and you're like, okay, okay. That gets quoted a lot. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So Romans 14.8 kind of also puts that, we're just going to delve further into that. Romans 14.8, it says, if we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So Paul kind of had a theme going here, okay? And good for Paul. I mean, the guy has been through some stuff. At the time that he wrote Philippians, he had been arrested several times. He had been stoned, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, stoned like thrown, stoned, thrown at him, beaten with rods, threatened, and so the, the, when I read this passage, though, the, the immediate thought that came to my mind was contentment. He was content. He had been shown through adversity and through suffering that Christ is faithful. He knew at this point. Guys, he was writing that from jail. He didn't know whether he was going to be exonerated or if he was going to be put to death. So he, did, he didn't know. He didn't have any solid proof of what his next step was going to be. But yet he says to live as Christ, to die as gain. So this Paul, this is the goal of Christianity, right? This Paul is the goal. The, the, the person, our role model of no matter what, no matter what my suffering, I am content because I am present with Christ. But my fear sometimes when reading passages like this is that we get a little discouraged. Because perhaps we try to emulate the Paul of Philippians 1 without putting into practice the path that got Paul to Philippians 1. So then it's just a facade. It's just a posture. It's a mimicking of someone else's journey and I have this little thing called toxic positivity. So, like, I can reframe with the best of them. And it's how I survived motherhood, honestly. I'm always like, it's fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. My friends joke because I'm always like, it's okay. I'm going into this situation. And it's like, it's not fine, you know. But I'm like, People, people can't handle, I actually worried when I was like, I'm actually going to talk about lament. And I was like, I'm not sure our church can handle a lamenting Beth. Like, because I'm so happy when I'm here and I truly, I'm happy when I'm here, but I'm the like, okay, so we've been here since 2008, like 14 years we've been in this building. And is that right? Is that math right? Yeah. Math teachers of America. Is that right? Okay. So um, that is a long time to be chipper. (laughs) And sometimes I'm not. And sometimes I've had the biggest fight. I know you can't imagine that. Aaron and I fight occasionally. But, like, we've had, like, a knockdown drag out or something. Or, or I'm sick or, or something. But I know, like, what a drag to come in here and be like, you know, I'm just not feeling it today, guys. Good luck. I hope you get what you came here for, but I'm not going to help you. Okay. Um, 
So, but there's help because the Paul of Philippians 1 was also the Paul of Romans 7. And it says this. Let's hear from Paul now. This is the same guy, okay? He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can anybody relate to that, Paul? But I know that what I'm doing is wrong, and this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. (laughs) And then skipping down to 18, I know that nothing good lives in me. That's, That's pretty harsh. That is, in my sinful nature, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really doing, I'm not really the one doing wrong. He's kind of justifying. He's like, it's not really me. It's the sin in me. And that's true to a point, but we're going to have to take um, accountability for, for that. Then finally, verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. That's the same Paul who was victorious in the prison, in shackles. That same Paul in Romans 7 is lamenting. So I'm currently doing a four-week study with the Center for Formation, Justice, and Peace on the subject of lament. And it's been fantastic. It has been absolutely incredible. So I've learned a lot, and, and I would like to give a shout-out to my cohorts in that, um, in that group and the facilitators because much of what you'll hear today has come through conversations with them and resources that they've shared. But it turns out that 60 of the 150 psalms are psalms of lament. 60 of the 150. So that's 40%. More math today. Our educational system is fantastic. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Look at me doing fractions and percentages and all that. So I read an article as part of this study, and in it, it quoted Philip Yancey. We're going to throw that up on the screen, and it says this. A healthy body isn't one that feels no pain. A healthy body is one that attends to the pain of its weakest part. Yeah. So probably not good to pretend that we don't have something that needs to be dealt with. Amen? So K.J. Ramsey, which is the author of that article, she went on to say, all too often in our bodies and in the body of Christ, we'd rather pretend health is the absence of pain rather than the willing care of it. And if Yancey is right, then when we order our lives and our worship services around overcoming pain rather than attending to it, we block the pathways that mediate our healing. And when the church does not make space for lament, the church is not whole. Ouch. Well, I want us to be whole. And I want CIL to be healthy. And part of my job each week Um, my day job, (laughs) is curating the call to worship that we do and the congregational prayer. So I spend time each week kind of looking at our service, looking at the songs that we're doing, the subject that we're going to be speak that Aaron's going to be speaking on, stuff like that. I try to make it all fit and make sense. 
And as I'm gathering, I mean, I have resources. I'm not just like making this stuff up, but, but I mean, you know, sometimes I rewrite the prayers because they don't make sense. But, um, but when I'm curating that, I'll run across, inevitably, I'll run across a psalm of lament. And, and I'm like, oh, skip. <laughs> Let's go to another one, you know. Let's go to a happy one, a victorious one, one where we're like, praise be to God. Because right before the second song, we don't really want to say, my enemies are out to kill me. I've lost all hope. Let's worship. Because that doesn't feel like the pathway to worship. But scripture shows us that it is. So how can we be better? How can we incorporate that more? You hear the saying, misery loves company. And we think of that as a bad thing, like misery loves company. If you're negative, other people are going to be negative. But I actually think maybe it's not such a bad thing because when we surround someone in their misery, we're, we're choosing to say, yes, I see you. I understand you. I hear you. And I love you even when you're weeping. I love you when you're not performing. I love you when you're not making things comfortable and easy for me at church or anywhere else. One of the people in my cohort said, it's a privilege to cry with those who mourn. They may not have anyone else who cries over them. It's a calling. It is our calling. So what is lament? Lament is... And I love, I love this because I've always been like, I'm dramatic and passionate. So like lament just seems like something that I'd really enjoy, <laughs> you know, but I didn't really know what it was, but it's like pouring out your feelings before editing them. Right. Cindy, I love you. I'm going to take you everywhere with me. Like if I, I'm like, my goodness, the encouragement, <laughs> I'm like, I am preaching up here. <laughs> Seriously, thank you. Um, so pouring out your feelings to God before editing them and before making them consistent the- theologically. Like, if you have to sit there and think, like, is this theologically sound before you pour out your heart to God? There's time for that later. It's important, definitely important. But if you have to edit yourself before you go to God, then you're doctoring yourself. Okay. So sometimes we're invited by the resurrected Christ to pour out our unedited, theologically unsound feelings at his feet and feelings that if I'm honest are sometimes filled with curse words. Just me. Okay. That's embarrassing. Okay, good. Thank you, Wendy. Knew I could count on you. Okay. So what can I say? Sometimes I relate to the Paul and Philippians 1, and sometimes I relate to the Sons of Thunder. 
But Paul is not alone. (laughs) Paul is not alone on the Lament Express. So we're going to take a look in Scripture. This is a lot of Scripture I'm going to throw at you. So you can take notes if you want, like, because you may want to pull this stuff out later to sort of, like, bolster your feelings. Uh, If you're, you're like, going into Lament, like, you can just be like, "Mm, it's biblical, okay? So the first one is Rebecca in Genesis 27, 46. I love this. She's like, I am sick and tired of these local Hittite women. The sass. I mean, I am sick and tired. I would rather, what does she say? I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. Was that, was that cat? She's like, uh-uh. I got this. <laughs> but that's the way I feel. I know it was, me and some of my friends, we talk about girls like liking our, our sons. And we're like... Mm-mm. I am sick and tired of you. <laughs> Numbers 11, Moses, great biblical hero. Numbers 11, verse 14, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. And that's honestly how I felt when I had three kids under the age of three and a half. <laughs> was like, I can't do it. Somebody help me. Um, First Kings 19, Elijah in verse four, he says, it says that he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. That's bold just to say to the Lord, like, kill me right now. And then this is one of my favorites, Jonah. Jonah, in chapter 4, starts in verse 3. He says, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? I love how there's like this back and forth. I mean, God and I talk like this. Do you guys talk like this with God? Like, And I love like how like God has attitude with me sometimes, but I like it. You know, he's like, is this right for you to be angry about this? Then in verse eight, it says, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. Is that what's happening right now? (laughs) So I'm sweating. Okay. Um, the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. I mean, we get it. We all get it right now. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? (laughs) Like, seriously. I mean, if that isn't just putting too fine a point on it. I mean, there was other things going on. But God is like, you're this angry because a plant died? And he said, yes. Yes. I'm even angry enough to die. And that really reminds me of a conversation that Aaron and I had recently after I spent a lot of money at the nursery and then forgot to water my plants. He was mad, and I was like, is it really, like, should you be this angry over a plant? And he's like, yes, angry enough to die. I'm like, get a hold of yourself, buddy. So. Then there's Jeremiah 2014. He said, yet I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate my birth. 
I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. This is dramatic. Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts. The person that announced, good news, you have a son. Like, let's just terrorize him because he did not kill me at birth. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. You kind of have to wonder if, like, Jeremiah was doing keto or something because, like, it's like I get like that sometimes. I'm like, I need a dinner roll, stat. But I, and, and it is, it's funny to read these sometimes. Like, it's like, okay, these, I don't want to hear a word about women being dramatic. Okay, because this is drama. But seriously, but seriously, they were feeling some things. They were feeling some things, and they were brave enough to lay it all on. They were, they were confident enough in God to be able to say, This is how I feel right now, like to the core. This is raw, unedited, theologically unsound, lamenting. And I know that the resurrected king is my safe place. I know. David, who wrote most of the Psalms, he says, leave me alone so I can smile again. Before I am gone and exist no more. He said that to God. Leave me alone. In Psalm 143.4. Look. Okay. We've laughed and all of that. But we're dealing with a real epidemic of depression and suicidal ideation. We deal, we're dealing with it in our own family. It is serious. I was terrified of like being Debbie Downer for the whole 25 minutes, you know, but this is how, how do we, how do we combat that? How do we combat that? We have, we resources, doctors, counseling, and lamenting in a safe space, lamenting in a safe space and just being honest I think lamenting is just being honest. It's just looking at the reality of the situation and saying, I can't move to Philippians 1 until I deal with Romans 7. Until I deal with Psalm 143.4 where it says, I'm losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Come quickly, Lord. Where are you? It's getting bad here. I need you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. For the glory of your name, O Lord, preserve my life. Does that not echo what Paul said in Philippians 1? It's all for the glory of your name. 
if you preserve my life, it's to give you glory. If it is your will to preserve my life at this moment, glory be to your name, God. God's invitation is to lament. Allowing yourself to feel sorrow. I'm not going to really get into it, but if you go to the Bible Project, and because obviously I've left out the, the big one, which is Job, but if you go to the Bible Project, zoom in on this, I'm kidding, <laughs> um, but um, I'll post this later, but they do a beautiful job of highlighting the, the book of Job. I mean, like I can give you a 60 second thing. It's like Job was the, you know, the fairest in all the land. He had all the stuff. He had wives and children and um, farms and all this stuff. But Satan, the accuser, kind of came to God like a lawyer. And he was like, um, you know, your people only love you because you give them good things. That's the only reason. So he was accusing God of something. Isn't that what the devil does? He accuses us in our, in our brain. Like he, he kind of, you know, we hear that inner critic, that inner Satan that accuses us of things. But he says, yeah, all well and good that he honors you and praises you and worships you. But it's because he has everything. He has all these material things. He has all these worldly things. And God says, you know what? I'm going to show you that that's not true. I have faith in Job. He's not going to let me down. So do with him what you will. What he values the most is me. And I'm going to prove it. Now, it took 38 chapters (laughs) for him to prove it, but he did. And all through that time, Job's friends... He had three friends that were just giving him horrible advice. And if you have friends like Job had in those like 30 some chapters, just get rid of them. Get rid of them. They're not for you. And it's okay not to be friends with everyone. It's okay. Find different friends until those friends can be better friends. And I can say that because I'm a horrible friend, but I have good friends. (laughs) They teach me, but... Back to Job. So then he had this one friend who gave him great advice and started talking some sense in him. And all that time, Job is lamenting. He is ruining the day that he was born. He is crying out to God. He shaved his head. He tore his clothes. He sat in, you know, I don't know, stuff. And so then, get my notes. Finally, the Lord starts responding to him. And he's like, if you go and read this, it's really fascinating. I loved it because he and God, God and Job kind of had like this back and forth. And he was like, who are you to question? Did you make the sunrise? Did you put animals on this earth? Do you cause storms to come? Do you tame animals? Did you do this? Do you want, he's like, do you want to do it? It's like when a couple is driving and you're like criticizing their driving and they're like, do you want me to pull over? Do you want to do it? Do you want to drive? You think you can do better on these curvy roads? That's kind of what God was saying. He's like, I did all this. I'm juggling all these things as God and preserving your life. Do you want to try it? 
And Job's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're right, you're right. And he confesses that all I want, I don't care about anything else. I just hate that we've been separated. I hate that we've been separated during this time. It's not the loss of all these things. It's not that I'm poor now or that I'm lonely or anything like that. It's that I don't have you. And I have to believe that at that moment, Satan was like, darn it. God was right. God was right. And then God restored everything in Job's life. Praise be. The path of lament doesn't have to lead to despair. The resurrection of Jesus shatters hopelessness. Your reality can be changed just like Jesus rose from the grave. Psalm 142, verse 1, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all of my troubles. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me for you are good to me. And in the message version, verse 7 says, your people will form a circle around me. And you'll bring me showers of blessing. Isn't that beautiful picture? While I'm lamenting, your people will circle around me. It may be that you don't need to lament today. But somebody else does. Are you going to circle around them? Or are you going to be like, I really do not want to hear this today. When I say, how are you? You need to say fine and move on. (laughs) Right? Especially in the checkout line. But... We, and and honestly, I'm so proud of what I see in this CIL family, especially at Refresh, but, but honestly, every Sunday morning, people coming to the altar, people coming to the prayer partners, people getting in circles in the back. There is, I just want to show this picture real quick. There's this picture I heard that elephants are such amazing animals, but if one of their herd is either hurt or sick or giving birth, they circle up around it to protect it. Is that not amazing? C-I-L, circle up, circle up around our wounded, around our mourning, around those who need that respite of time to pour out unedited. We are reluctant to lament because it feels or seems distrustful. And here's one of two things that I'm going to say. You don't cry for help unless you believe in the helper. It's not shameful to cry for help. It's just a signal to the world that we know who the helper is and we believe in him. Lament is healthy. It can change your life. I saw something recently that said if Romeo had just cried over Juliet for a few hours, that whole story would have been different. If he had just lamented a little bit instead of assuming the worst. (laughs) There was one more thing that I had up there, Amanda, one more point, and I cannot remember what it is. Oh, I've been saying that the whole thing. Whoops. You can't get, you, you get to the Paul of Philippians 1 by crying out like the Paul in Romans 7. So right now, 
if you want to come on up, Abigail. Thank you so much for leading us in worship today. That was what my heart and spirit and soul needed. And Josh, thank you so much. We're going to take time for communion. As we've been doing recently, we will have our two lines. We'll have a line here, a line here. And if you're in these two sections, you come down here. If you're in these two sections, you come down here and disperse either through the middle or on the sides. And our prayer partners, if you can just come on up. Maybe you've been sitting here and you're like, I can't even laugh with everybody else. I'm hurting. I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm wounded. Come let us circle up around you. Come and receive prayer. Pour out your heart to God. Let's say this prayer of confession. Thank you, God.